We are again this morning in the book of Acts. Originally, I, my family was planning to be gone this Sunday, and Dave was going to share with us, and our plans changed partway through the week, and so I'm grateful uh, for Dave's willingness to be flexible. Uh, we, trade, we actually traded Sunday. He's, he's going to cover for me later in August, uh, and I'm going to take a Sunday in August. And so, uh, I'm, again, I'm grateful. His, his, if you saw, the, we had two bulletins that were printed for today, one that we emailed out to our worship team earlier, and his sermon title was in there called, Oh No Mo. And so you'll have to wait until August because Oh No Mo is still yet to come. So uh, that's coming in August. This morning we're moving on in Acts chapter 18. We've, we were in chap- chapter 17 last week. Chapter 17, the, the portion we were in last week was the story of, of Paul. He, he had left Thessalonica and Berea previously. He headed then to Athens. And I told you that, that it appears... It appears that, that those disciples that he was with, they sent him off. They sent him all by himself. They put him on a boat. They sent him out into the sea on a cruise to Athens, to which is the intellectual capital of the world. They, they sensed, I think, and we'll talk about this this morning, they sensed a little bit that he needed a break. They also sensed that, that there, was, there was all kinds of strife because of his teachings, and so they needed, the, as I mentioned last week, they needed the heat to die down a little bit, and so they sent Paul off. Silas and Timothy stayed to, to teach uh, the, the recent converts that had come to faith in Thessalonica and Berea. They stayed, but they sent Paul away. He got to Athens, the vacation destination that he had taken his cruise to, and he began to wander the city. And, and Luke tells us there in Acts chapter 17 that as he wanders the city, he, he sees all of these idols. There was, it was easier to find a, a, an idol than a man, I told you last week, or easier to find a god than to find a man was one of the common sayings. And he begins to wander around and he sees all of these idols and, and, his, and his, he's provoked, it says. His, his spirit is so troubled that, that he, he's, he's, he has to say something. And so he begins, he goes to the, to the synagogue and then it says he even moves out of the synagogue and goes right into the marketplace and he begins to teach. He begins to share about Jesus. He, he, he reasons with them and, and, and tries to get them to see. And, and so they're intrigued. The people of Athens, they hear what Paul is sharing. They're intrigued by it. They want to, to know more. They're welcome to new ideas. They don't necessarily adopt these new ideas very well, but they're welcome to hear them. And so they invite him end to the Aragapis so that they might be able to hear him share even more deeply. And so he does. He comes to Mars Hill there and he begins to share. He affirms that, they're, that they want to worship. They have all of these idols all over the city. And, and that's a good thing, he says. We're, we're, we're made that way. We have this desire inside of us to, to, that we're missing something and, and, and we crave, we, we want to worship something. He says, that's the way you were made from creation. That's the way it was designed, that we might grope around, that we might try to find God. But he says, what you have done is that you are, are groping around. You're trying to fill this, this, this God-shaped void in your life. You're trying to find the satisfaction for that hole that you have, and you're trying to find it in so many other things. 
And so you've turned from the creator and you have begun to worship created things. You have built idols and carved statues and you worship those things instead of the God who has created all things. You worship the, create, the created things rather than the creator. Paul tells us that. He uses that line in the letter to the Romans. That's the phrase. That's the thing. He says, you worship the created thing rather than the creator, but our life is found in and through him. Our being is found in God. And he says, while you've done that, while you've groped around, while you've searched for him, God has put us on a path that we might find him. And he says, now everything is different. There's a hinge point in history. He said, you may have been wondering how to find God. You may have been looking for him. The, the Jews were looking for him all through the Old Testament. They were hoping for the one that God had promised. But now we know who that Messiah is. Now we have a name now we have a face. Now we know who the rescuer is. And there's a hinge pin in history. And now has come the time to repent, he says. Now has come the time to look to Jesus Christ. Jesus has made a way for us to be reconciled. Jesus has made a way for us to be brought back into right relationship with God. Jesus has made a way for us to fill that void that we've been missing, that we're longing for. Jesus has made a way for us to be reconciled with God. Jesus has made a way for us, and the time of repentance has come. The God-made man, Jesus, is our rescuer. And the assurance of that truth is found in the resurrection, Paul says. The assurance of that truth is found in the resurrection. Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead, and that seals, that seals our hope. As he shares that there, on Mars Hill, many people, many people respond, some by mocking. They tease him as he shares that. They, 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 some of them want to hear more. They, they don't commit to anything. They just say, that's interesting. Please, come back. Tell us more later. And so Paul, Paul leaves. He leaves Mars Hill. He leaves the gathering. And some people, it says, some people do come and listen and have changed lives. And that section then closes, chapter 17, and we then head to chapter 18. Let's read it together here. Chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 1. It's page 927, if you're in a pew Bible this morning. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles." And he left there, and he went to the house of the man named Titius, Justus, a worshiper of God. The house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. 
And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Here in chapter 18, Paul is again on the move. You've seen, we have a map. I'm going to have, have Joel put it up on the screen. You've seen that this is the larger map. Uh, he's, he's now on the far left-hand side in that green island area. And in fact, I don't know why I haven't been doing this for months, but I've zoomed in a little bit so that you can better see that same portion. Now, now you can at least read the words on the screen. So, so Berea, you can see his top left up there. They put him on a boat. He traveled down. He was on that cruise, came around to Athens. Now he's in Corinth. It's about 50 miles from Athens as he's traveled. He, 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 we assume that he walked there um, and traveled over to Corinth. Corinth was a major city during this time. It was a new city. that had been destroyed uh, previously, and the Romans had rebuilt it. It was, uh, it, it was the center for trade in this area. You can see that there's a, a kind of a, I don't even know what these would be, but, but there's sea on both sides of Corinth. Corinth kind of sits in the middle there. And, and boats, instead of traveling all the way down around the island, lots of boats would come into Corinth and unload their goods. And then they would, they would actually, they had, they had rail tracks. They would cart the, the, the load off of one boat across the, the isthmus that's there into the boat on the other side. That was easier and safer than trying to sail their boat all the way around the whole island. And so it became this huge mecca for, for travel. Later, now, there's a, a small canal. They dug a canal that's there. But during this time of Paul, there was not a canal. They just would have, would have shipped or, or unloaded, unpacked, and reloaded. So there was a, a huge hub of trade that happened in Corinth. The, the sea trade obviously met there, but then the land trade would come and meet there as well so that they could get their goods or buy goods that were in the sea trade. So lots and lots of people were there. This is a cosmopolitan city. There's lots of people, lots of cultures. Um, it, 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 it's a hub of this area, at least, of the world. One, one commentator says it this way, trying to, trying to differentiate these different cities that we're talking about. Athens, he says, during this time was, was like Boston. It was the intellectual center of the world at that time. Corinth, which is the city that Paul has now moved to, would have been like New York City. It would have been the commercial capital of the world. Ephesus, which we will talk about in the future, it's over here on the right in Asia. Ephesus would have been like Los Angeles, 
It would have been a popular culture and occult center. And then Rome was the capital. Rome was like Washington, D.C. It was the political center of the world. But those were some of the major cities that Paul has been connected to here. And so Paul has left the intellectual center. He has left Boston, and he is headed to Corinth, to the New York City. Corinth was a a, a city, because it had so many cultures and so many people, it 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 was a relatively godless city. In fact, um, sexual immorality would run rampant, and you, and you know that if you know the letters that Paul writes to, to First and Second Corinthians, he, he references that in a number of different ways. But it's a, it's a sexually immoral city. In fact, one of the phrases that would have been used during that time was if you had, had used the word Corinthian as a, as a adjective for someone, like you would say they they played the Corinthian, or they were very Corinthian in the way that they did that. You're, you're saying that they are very loose morally and, and sexually explicit. That's the term. It's not a positive term. It's a derogatory term to be a Corinthian. Um, and that's the city. That's the city that Paul arrives in. He arrives on his own, he's left Athens, he's, he's wandered over to Corinth, and, and we have this picture, we have this picture that Paul has now arrived in Corinth, and, and he's, he's discouraged, he's sad, he's, de- he's depressed, he's, he's lonely. And, and, we, and we, if we remember, it's hard for us, I think, because we, we come each week, we bite off a little chunk of this story of Acts, and it's hard for us to put that whole picture together. But if you remember where we've been, Paul has been, has been beaten, just recently, has been beaten and chased out of Philippi. He was, he was chased out of Thessalonica. He was chased out of Berea. He was put on a boat, sent off to Athens. When he, even when he, when he gets there, he, he, he heads into the, the city center. He's, he's moved, he's provoked by it. He's teased then by what he has to share. He's been moving consistently. He's not been able to stay in one place very long. He's He's been sent off. Even, even the, the disciples probably saw that he was discouraged, and so that might be even as why they put him on that boat, why they sent him off to Athens. They put him on a, on a cruise ship to buoy his spirits. He's discouraged. He's lonely. His mates, traveling mates, Silas and Timothy, have been left behind. He's seemingly low on money, which is partly why he probably tries to find a job. And even as he arrives in Corinth and begins to, to preach and teach, he's met with hostility again right away as soon as he gets there. And if we think about that and put all those pictures together, we can see, yeah, he probably is discouraged. He probably is a little sad. But it's not just Luke's picture that we have. Paul tells us that himself. I turn to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you have it. I, I, I forgot to put it on the screen. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, right at the very beginning, Paul is writing his letter to the Corinthians. And again, I, I, I'm hopeful that you're able to overlay some of these letters into the book of Acts. You're able to, to see uh, how they, they go together. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul tells us about his arrival into Corinth. 
And he says it this way, chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5. And I, Paul says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says, when I came to you guys, when I showed up in Corinthians, or when I showed up in Corinth to the Corinthians, when I showed up, I was weak. I was in fear. I was trembling. I came discouraged. I came weakened. And when I came, I wanted a demonstration of the spirit and of the power, and you saw that demonstration of spirit and power in me. So, back in Acts chapter 18, what does it, what does it look like for Paul to come into the city discouraged? What does he do? What, what are some of the things that, that he does that maybe we can apply to our lives that Paul does in the midst of discouragement? What are some of the things that we see here in Acts chapter 18? I think there's four ways that Paul seeks to find comfort and help in the midst of his discouragement. We see it first, right? Right at the beginning of the chapter, we see it first that Paul seeks to find help and comfort in other believers. He seeks to find help and comfort in other believers. Right away, it says that, that Paul found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla. This is the first time that we've heard about them. They're here in Acts chapter 18, but it's not the only time that they're found in the Bible. Priscilla and Aquila become common stays in Paul's life. We're going to read about them. You'll read about them in other letters. They show up a couple of different times. They have recently been kicked out of Rome. At this time, it even tells us here in, in Acts chapter 18 that Claudius, the, the, the leader in Rome, he has, he has kicked all of the Jews out. There's been this disruption about Christ. And instead of, of making a, differentiate, a differentiation between Jews and Christians, he just has kicked all Jewish people out because they're starting to cause an uproar in the city of Rome. Aquila and Priscilla are two of those people. They leave Rome, they come to, to Corinth here, and they begin to establish themselves and they connect with Paul. But, but they don't just stay here in Corinth. We're gonna show, they're going to show up later in Ephesus and then they're going to show up later again in Rome. And Paul writes about them and references them in his letters. Priscilla and Aquila become, become partners with Paul. They become some of the people that he goes to for help and support, not just here in this moment, but he goes to them again and again and again. And they continue to help him and to build him up. They're tent makers, just like Paul. Paul was probably taught to, to, to be a tent maker, which, which has lots of different meanings, so that he, that he maybe was a, a leather worker and helped with those kinds of things, or maybe actually worked on canvas tents. Because people moved so much, they often had temporary tent-like homes, and so this would have been a good business for Paul to be in. He probably would have learned it early on as a child 
before he was sent off into training to be, to be a, a teacher and a leader and a, and a Pharisee. And so Paul picks up with something that he learned early on. He's a tent maker like Aquila and Priscilla. They, they're hospitable. They, especially uh, later, we see that they open up their home in Ephesus and then they open up their home in Rome to, to, for the church to gather and for the church to meet in. We can assume from that that when Paul shows up here, they probably were just as hospitable here. Paul was probably in their home often, maybe even living with them, staying with them. Paul and Priscilla and Aquila were, were closely related. And Paul sought to find help and comfort in other believers. I think it's also important as we read that for us to see some of the words that are used. It, it says in, in verse 2, he found a Jew named Aquila. And then later it says in verse 3, nope, in verse, still later in verse 2, it says that he went to see them. That Paul found them. Paul went to see them. Paul took some initiative. He, he took this first step. I think that's an important part to talk about when we talk about these ideas about what do we do in these moments of discouragement. Because we don't very easily do that. In those moments of discouragement, if we were in this same boat as Paul, we show up in a new city, we've, we've been chased out of multiple cities, we've been teased and laughed at and mocked in the last city, we've made this 50-mile wandering journey we come to it we come to a place we're almost out of money we're tired we're we're discouraged and our initial response oftentimes is to withdraw to pull away and that's not what paul does in this moment he doesn't withdraw he doesn't pull away he doesn't respond like a typical Western, self-sufficient, American, strong, pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps kind of response that we've been conditioned to give. But Paul responds instead by seeking out those who might strengthen him, might help him, might comfort him. He finds help in Aquila and Priscilla. It also says right away, right after we are introduced to Priscilla and Aquila, that Silas and Timothy show up. Again, probably strengthening Paul's soul that his friends show up. And as I already said, we have this tendency to, to withdraw. We have this tendency to try to do it on our own. And that is not the example of the early church. It wasn't the example of the early church early on when they were all in Jerusalem and the Jews were just coming to know Jesus and the Spirit had just come on them. They, they did not all scatter and do it on their own. Instead, they gathered together as a body believer. And, and if you remember, there's a couple of passages that we looked at a number of times in, in Acts 2 and Acts 4 where, where the church is, is together. They, they share everything that they have. They, they, are, they are always together. Th that's the picture that Luke gives us, that believers are caring for one another. And so it wasn't odd for Paul to seek that out in these believers, Priscilla and Aquila. It wasn't odd for him to, to need that encouragement, and it wasn't odd for them to give it. Paul found comfort and help in other believers. 
Silas and Timothy show up. They also provide support for him. Probably also they bring a little bit of monetary support, which, which Paul then, in, in the letter to the Thessalonians especially, uh, references that, that, that they gave to him, they provided for him in ways that no other church would in that time, he says in, in Thessalonians, um, that we, we assume that, that Silas and Timothy probably brought some of those funds to Paul at this time, helping him so that he could continue to teach and preach. The second thing I think that Paul does in this moment of discouragement, he tries to find comfort and help in other believers, but he also tries to find comfort and help in, in working. It's, he says he, he, he finds them, they are also tent makers, he also begins to work. I don't think it's just because he needs some funds. I think sometimes it's good for us to do something, to accomplish something to work, to get our mind off of what we're discouraged about and begin to focus on something else. Paul used his time to go back to his old occupation. He began to use his hands. He began to work up a sweat. He began to complete a few projects. He began to accomplish something. And Paul, I think, found comfort and help in doing that, in accomplishing something. I know just in, in my own life, there, there, there's all kinds of time as I'm, as I'm leading our church and, and, and attempting to lead, well, that, that there's, there's always, there, it feels as though there's always one more email that should have been sent and one more text that, that should have been replied to, and, and there's always a Sunday that's coming, and there's all of these things that continue to, and, and you guys have those too. Every, everyone has those, those continual projects that weigh on us, and every once in a while, it's good for me to straighten up my office and just to get it clean and done. I love, I, I love mowing my grass at home because it's mindless, but, but you see this progress of, you know, every 50 inches getting cut as you go up and down. And, and then when you're done, you can look at it and be grateful and drink a root beer while you're sitting in your lawn chair looking at your cut grass. I love that. I love it. Every once in a while, we need to just complete something, finish it, work hard, get our mind off of all the other things that are going on, and complete a project, work up a sweat. I think that's part of what Paul was doing. Paul found comfort and help in working, making tents. Scripture also, I think, shows us that Paul, amazingly, finds comfort and help in continuing to do what he always has done. And I don't mean tent making. The, the passage here in, in, in verse 4 says, says he, he, he worked with Priscilla and Aquila because he had the same trade as they, they were tent makers by trade. And then in verse 4 it says, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. That's, that's almost an amazing, we've already talked about it. Kicked out of, of Phil, thrown in jail in Philippi, beaten in Philippi, chased out of Thessalonica, chased out of Berea, kicked out in, into Rome, teased in Rome, and he wanders off with his tail between his legs. And when he gets to Corinth, he doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to stop. I'm going to take a break. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to. I, I I I don't want to do it. 
anymore. But he continues to do what he does. He goes to the synagogue. He reasons in the synagogue every single Sabbath. Later it tells us that he's occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ is Jesus. He continues to do what he's always done. It would be easy to shrink back. It would be easy to pull away. It would be easy to say, you know what, I don't, I don't have the support that I had before. I don't have my, I don't have my guys, Silas and, and Timothy, aren't here anymore. I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wait until they come. He could have pulled back, but he doesn't. He continues to do what he's always done. Even, even when, he, when he begins to get pushed back right away, he, he begins to teach in the synagogue and they revile and oppose him, he says. He, they revile and oppose, and, and he, he shakes off, he shakes off his sandals, he shakes off, and he says, your blood is on your hands, and he moves next door to the synagogue and begins doing the exact same thing, in fact, teaching even the same people the leader of the synagogue, Crispus, was what he was he was teaching them, leading Crispus at the synagogue. He moves next door to Titius's house, and Crispus shows up and he continues to teach and lead him. And, and at the end of this passage, Sosthenes was now the new leader of the synagogue, and he also he gets beaten because he also is a believer. He's referenced also in 1 Corinthians, in the letter to Corinthians, because he too becomes a brother. So it's not as if Paul gives up on reaching the guys next door. He just has now moved his headquarters one house over and continues to teach and preach and try to, con- try to help the Jews to come to know Jesus. But, even in all those things, even in finding help and comfort in other believers, even in finding help and comfort in working up a sweat, accomplishing things, even in finding help and comfort in continuing to do what he's been called to do, even in all of those things, it appears that Paul is still discouraged. It appears that he still is struggling. So much so, that in verse 9, we see that he actually gets a vision one night of Jesus. If your Bible has, has the words of Jesus in red, you see that this quote here in Acts chapter 18, the words are read. That Jesus speaks directly to Paul in this vision. And he says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking And do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Even after all of those things, Paul's still discouraged. And here, this fourth thing that we see is that Paul finds comfort and help by trusting in the promise of God. Even in the midst of some of those other things, even in in finding comfort and help in believers and in working and continuing to do what you do, that discouragement can still come, still settle on you. And there comes a place that you can't work it away. There comes a place where you can't friend it away. There comes a place where you 
just have to trust in the promise of God and the promises of his word. Paul's promise comes in an actual vision from Jesus. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. No one's going to harm you. There's, my people are in this city. You don't need to worry. Not all of us get that vision. Not all of us get the red letters of Jesus as he speaks directly to us. And I can't even tell you this morning that in those moments that this, this promise is for you, it, it was specifically for Paul, and yet the truths that Paul gets in this, that God is, is for us, that God will help us, that we don't need to be afraid, that we can continue to speak and share about Jesus, that those are true for us as well. Paul hears, no one will harm you. We can't have that. We don't have that promise, but Paul reminds us later in Romans that God works all things together for our good, for the good of those who love him. Paul, I think, has found comfort in these other things, believers and working and doing what he does, but he finds a different kind of comfort here in these words and in these promises of Jesus. Paul's response in the midst of this is a settledness that we have not seen in Paul. In, in all of our time of knowing Paul, we have not seen this kind of settledness since he began his journeys. It goes on to tell us right after that, the very next verse, that he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And Paul has all these things begin to happen and for now he has a, a a settledness among him, a settledness amongst him that he can stay in Corinth. He can teach. He's, he's already been reviled. All of that's happened. We see in this very next paragraph that, that the troubles aren't over for Paul, but he can rest. He can trust in the promises that have come from Christ. Luke then gives us this, this next paragraph, I think, to give us Proof that this promise that came to Paul from Jesus actually is, is true. It says that, that they've, they've pulled Paul in, they've, they've put him before the Roman authorities, that, that he, he has, they have this tribunal where, they, where they're saying he's, he's causing a ruckus, he's teaching about Jesus. And they come before him, and, and you remember, no one's going to harm you, no one's going to hurt you. That's the promise of Jesus to Paul. So here, Paul, I'm, I'm sure already can, he's having flashbacks. He's having PTSD. He's already been hauled before the authorities a number of times. The last time he was, he was whipped and beaten, he was thrown in jail in Philippi. He's already been hauled out of the city and stoned and left for dead in previous journeys. I'm sure Paul is thinking some of those very same things again. And so they come and they pull him before the judge and they cast out, this is, this is it. This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. And Paul begins to open his mouth to begin his defense. And before he can even open his mouth, Gallio says, this is just a bickering between two people. You're all the same, he says. It's just a matter of words and titles. I'm not even going to listen. I'm not even going to hear it. 
and cast it out. And Paul is not harmed. Paul is not thrown in prison as he was earlier in Philippi. Paul escapes. Sothenes is not quite so fortunate. He gets beaten right in front of Gallio, who does nothing. But Paul has a protection that he hasn't had before. No one's going to harm him. No one's going to hurt you. I have people, my people are in the city. Paul finds hope and comfort and help and trust by resting in the promises of God. Paul's life isn't easy from this point on. He's still going to have, still going to have a lot. He's going to have a lot more traveling. He's going to have a lot more issues. He's going to have a, a shipwreck. Paul's going to be martyred in the end. It's not all roses for Paul. My guess is there's other moments of discouragement as well. But these things that Paul, that Luke shows us here in Acts chapter 18 that Paul does, I think they're helpful for us to rest in the promises of God, to look out for others, to find help and comfort in others, and to look to give help and comfort to others, to work hard and to continue to do what we do. The worship team is going to come. They're going to lead us. We're going to continue to worship as we close this morning. I invite you to stand and join us this morning as we worship together. sins in your body as you were hung on a tree so we might die to rebellion and live for him who set us free you were mocked reviled suffering in our place trusting all to your father so enemies could know your grace we have been justified made alive in the life of Christ. Righteous blood covers every sin. Risen Lamb, heaven's light, crucified and now alive. In your love, you have drawn us in. Like strange sheep, we were wandering. Destitute and alone, you sought us out like a shepherd. You carried us and brought us.
have been healed, justified, made alive in the life of Christ. Righteous blood covers every sin. Risen land, heaven's light, crucified and now alive. In your love, you have drawn us in. All our sin. Grace, what a glorious exchange! All our sin for your grace, what a glorious exchange! All our sin for your grace, what a glorious exchange! We have been healed, justified, made alive in the life of Christ, righteous blood. Covers every sin. Risen Lamb, heaven's light, crucified and now alive. In your love, you have drawn us in. We have been here, justified, made alive in the life of Christ. Righteous blood covers every sin. Risen man, heaven's light, crucified and now alive. In your love, you have drawn us in. In your love, you have drawn us in. Benediction this morning comes from First Thessalonians chapter 3. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning.